Hello, Monetization Nation. Dave Knox helped grow a digital agency to $70 million in annual revenue and created one of the top 10 startup accelerators. In this episode, Dave and I will discuss how to turn our passions into a career. Tectonic shifts are constantly transforming the earth and business, causing destruction and huge growth opportunities. I'm Nathan William, the host of Monetization Nation, where we learn how to leverage business tectonic shifts to transform monetization. I am so excited to be joined today with Dave Knox. Dave is a leading consultant, speaker, and coach in the areas of innovation, marketing, and digital transformation. He's been asked to share his expertise by some of the world's largest companies and most innovative startups. As the chief marketing officer of Rockfish, Dave helped the company become one of the fastest growing agencies in the country, going from just $8 million of revenue in 2010 to more than $70 million of revenue in 2016. Simultaneously, Dave co-founded Brandery, one of the top 10 startup accelerators in the U.S., combining the two worlds. Dave is also the author of the best-selling Predicting the Turn, a high-stakes game of business between startups and blue chips. In his latest entrepreneurial journey, Dave is the CEO of Nature's Willow, a leading natural pain relief brand that he acquired in 2019 and relaunched in the spring of 2020. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dave. Hey, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So one of the core tectonic shifts we, we teach uh, at the very beginning is uh, connecting through passion and not our passion, but connecting through the, the level 10 passion of our target audience. So we'd like to start off by, by letting you share one of your level 10 passions. So maybe the audience can connect with you a little bit better. Yeah. So for me, you know, passion is, uh, you know, a few different areas, if you will. I mean, first and foremost is on the family side. Uh, you know, I'm fortunate enough mm-hmm. to have a uh, two eight-year-old twins here at home. So, you know, the, uh, the joy of what uh, that means and the, the stress of what virtual learning and everything else also means, uh, you know, that's the top of the list. And a lot of my, you know, hobbies that are out there and the things I really enjoy often come from that, you know, whether it's the sports or card collecting or, you know, pick the, the poison of what it might be. Um, but, you know, my other passion is the passion of entrepreneurship. Uh, and, you know, that passion is more in not just entrepreneurship myself, but actually more in helping entrepreneurs. Um, you know, that's what led to the brandery. It's what leads to most of the angel investing that I do is supporting an entrepreneur that has a goal to change the world. And that's support I love to do. I love it. Those are my top passions as well. Uh, it's, it's amazing how family helps put everything else in perspective. Very much so. All right. So we love storytelling here at Monetization Nation. We were wondering if you could share with us the story of your entrepreneurial journey. Yeah. So my entrepreneurial journey, uh, it really goes back, I think, in a, like many, many people, uh, actually to high school. And in high school, I had kind of two separate things that set me on the entrepreneurial journey that you know, still is going strong almost 30 years later. Um, you know, the first was, you know, as I was thinking about that first job and that first thing that I might be able to do, you know, for me going and working minimum wage at a restaurant or something else that just didn't fit with what I wanted to do. And so my first taste of kind of taking things in your own control, uh, was I was a soccer player growing up 
and uh, actually discovered the ability that you could uh, become at the age of 15 certified as a FIFA referee. And once you were certified as a FIFA rep, it's not like you had, you know, a boss that was assigning jobs out to you. You would go out to all the different leagues and be able to, you know, apply for different things and get different games. I was a soccer ref and played soccer as well. Awesome. Yeah. And such a fun way to do it um, because you're sitting there. And I mean, you know, it from doing it yourself, like you do flagman for a 30 minute game of a U8, U10, and you're making 25, 30 bucks. And that's a whole lot more than what you were making if you were doing working a shift. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that was kind of my first taste. And then uh, the second taste actually came uh, also in high school. Um, I was involved with our uh, yearbook at our high school. And our yearbook was a little bit of a different one. Uh, it was one that kind of competed for national awards and did a bunch of that stuff. And one of the years I was in charge of our advertising. And with advertising, we did a pretty sizable revenue that came out of it. Um, and we actually paid commissions for all the advertising sales. And during that first summer that I did that, um, I actually made about $4,500, $5,000 in commissions from selling uh, the yearbook ads. And nice. that was enough to actually buy my first car. And so for me, it was like seeing that control of not just I work X hours and I get Y dollars, but I put this effort in and I can do magnitudes more than if I was just projecting the number of hours I was working. And that was re- kind of what really taught me about entrepreneurship and this ability of what the effort you put in can have a direct impact immediately on what comes out, yep. uh, which is a really unique lesson and, and something that kind of set me your, on the path. And you're just connecting your hours from your compensation. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. So that was a blast and really led me to then go to Miami University, where I actually my minor was in entrepreneurship and a bunch of other awesome experiences I had along the way. You and I have a lot in common. I just, I took off this shirt so I could get professional uh, for the show. You see Kaya, it's my street soccer brand. That, I love it. So you did this sales experience and generated a lot of commissions. You realized you could make a lot more money than just trading hours for dollars. Then where did you go? Yeah. So then uh, you went to Miami University, uh, which is the Miami that's in Ohio, not the one that's down in uh, Florida. And you know, went there to really do business. You know, that was kind of the, the goal. I didn't know what that word entrepreneurship was yet um, because you know, this was 90, 1999 and dot-com was just kind of getting going, but you, we didn't talk that way yet. Um, so I went down and I uh, went for uh, really for marketing and business, if you will. And it was in that journey that Miami had one of the earliest uh, undergraduate entrepreneurship programs. It wasn't a major yet. It was uh, what they called a thematic sequence at the time, which was kind of a fancy name for a minor. And I got involved with that program, uh, did a lot with it. And they actually had some really fun on uh, kind of internship programs, if you will, that were actually funded by donors for the entrepreneurship program. Uh, one of them was called the John Altman Scholars. And it was in that program that I actually got to go up to Chicago for a summer and work for a record label. Um, And it was not your typical record label because it was actually an entrepreneurial-led one. Uh, It was a a label called Aware Records that was started by a guy named Greg Latterman. And Greg was a uh, accountant consultant by training. And his passion, though, you know, to your point earlier, was on music. 
And so he would work the day job, um, you know, nine to five. And then in the early nineties would go on tour with all of these bands of the early nineties, uh, you know, think Dave Matthews band, et cetera, uh, and would sell these mixtapes. And, uh, for instance, he was actually, his one mixtape was the first time Dave Matthews was ever on an actual CD at the time. So he did a bunch of the stuff and finally passion led him to quit his job and go open a record label. And he did it pretty well. Um, you know, he was the guy that discovered bands like train and John Mayer and five for fighting. And, you know, you go back to all these great bands of that kind of late nineties, early two thousands, Greg was the guy that discovered all of them and gave him a shot. And eventually that led to him having a deal with Columbia records as kind of a minor league system for them. And so I got to go work for Greg uh, when there was only about nine people in the aware records office. Um, they, and I think two of us were working just on awarestore.com, which was kind of their uh, selling CDs direct and explore, exploring that. So got awesome experiences uh, of that nature. And it was actually that one that kind of set me on the path to do a little bit of a veer in the entrepreneurship, which was at the end of the summer, I sat down with Greg and, you know, he gave me advice that kind of set the path for me. And, you know, what he told me at the time, he goes, you know, it's great to have passion and everyone needs to have passion about what they want to do and where they want to go. But you also need capability and you need differentiation. And he said, you know, in the music industry, everybody's got passion that's working in this. Um, that's why you're giving up so much in salary and hours and everything else to do this space. He goes, but you can be more than just another guy throwing as much hours as you want and sacrificing to be in this industry. Because um, at the time I shared with him that uh, Procter & Gamble had been recruiting me on campus uh, to go in for traditional kind of brand management and marketing. And you know what Greg encouraged me to do, he said, look, go in at 22, do that job. And if you still have the passion for music in five years, you don't have to come out as a grunt working the 70 hours a week. You can come in as the head of marketing because you'll have something none of those other folks have. Uh, mm -hmm. You'll have this differentiation, you'll have this training, and you can combine it. Um, so it was that advice that kind of had me, you know, not throw away the entrepreneurial uh, dream, if you will, but realize that credentials matter and you've got to earn your stripes along the way. Um, so I took a, a job at going into brand management at Procter & Gamble uh, right out of college and ended up spending uh, pretty much my entire 20s uh, with that, but growing what it meant to be a marketer, a business uh, leader, and everything else in between. So what'd you do there at P&G? Yeah, so P&G was a few different paths. Um, so I started in brand management and doing the very uh, glamorous job of being an assistant brand manager on Secret Deodorant. So nice. I was a 22-year-old guy selling female deodorant. Uh, but it was in there that uh, I kind of got the first taste of digital marketing. Um, so the, you know this was 2003, so pretty, pretty early on. And my boss uh, kind of pulled a fast one on me and he said, hey, I've got this amazing challenge that you get to be the first one to ever launch do a major launch in our beauty division on a brand with uh, only doing digital marketing. So no traditional TV support, et cetera. And, you know, that's kind of was unheard of at the time at P&G. Everything started with TV and then you went elsewhere. Really, I learned later that it was we just didn't have the budget to be able to do TV support for the launch, but he sold it in a really cool way. Um, 
so started doing a ton of digital marketing to launch that. Um, kind of was one of the first at the company doing a lot of that across the board. Um, so was doing that. Um, that led me to then do a role where I was doing youth marketing across all of Procter & Gamble um, with really a focus on the beauty and health uh, or grooming brands. So Old Spice and Gillette and stuff of that nature. Uh, and then, you know, back to you, you need to have your stripe at times. Um, I had a boss kind of encourage of like, hey, you're the one that's pushing the company on digital, but you need to make sure that your peers that you're pushing, they respect that you understand where they're coming from. And so with that in mind, uh, for my promotion to brand manager, I actually went down to the Walmart customer team, which the, you know, the most traditional of traditional roles, if you will. And I led our personal health care and femcare business. So that was brands like Prilosec and Vicks and Tampax and Always and a bunch of others. Uh, but it was about a $900 million book of business uh, that I get to kind of be the marketing leader for. Uh, and that was at the age of, you know, about 26 that I was doing that. Um, so went down, down there for about two years. And it was actually at that point that uh, Mark Pritchard had just got, was just getting promoted as the, the CMO at Procter & Gamble and had really realized that we were um, not leading in digital marketing like we probably should. And, you know, P&G is a company that had 5,000 marketers across the globe. And wow. so uh, he kind of uh, encouraged the start of this corporate digital strategy team. And I got to go be one of the, you know, really two, three co-founders of that team and did that mid-2007 through 2010. And what that meant was I got to uh, teach the fellow marketers what digital would mean, what best practices were, what they should do for their own careers. But then I also owned uh, some of our digital relationships. So I owned what was called a uh, joint business plan with Facebook, Google, Microsoft, Yahoo, and that meant sitting at the table with the, you know, as the world's largest marketer and figuring out what we were going to do to work with those companies directly, not rely on our agencies, not rely on third parties, but that direct connection with, you know, Zuckerberg and Sandberg at Facebook, for instance, and figuring that out and seeing what we would do. Um, and that's what kind of started my exposure to the world of startups and venture capital, um, because it was spending time in that really interesting moment of 08 and 09 when we were having the Web 2.0 environment kind of just emerging and getting to have an unfair advantage of a kid in Cincinnati spending time in New York and Silicon Valley working directly in those businesses. Nice. Okay. When you left P&G, where'd you go? Yeah. So that was uh, 2010. Um, so I left P&G about two months after I turned 30. Um, and I kind of always had this uh, mantra of your 20s are for learning and your 30s were for doing. And for me, I decided that it was time to start doing. And, you know, during my journey, when I was down in uh, Northwest Arkansas on the Walmart team, I had a chance to meet this amazing entrepreneur named Kenny Tomlin. And Kenny had started a small little agency called Rockfish at the time. And we just kept in touch, became really good buddies and good friends over the years. And we were having drinks in 2009. He was up uh, visiting Cincinnati for some work. And I was just sharing, you know, kind of the frustration I was having of, you know, wanting the things that I knew I wanted to do in my career um, wasn't going to be the things I could accomplish if I stayed on the path I was on. And Kenny gave me an opportunity. He said, well, why don't you come work for me? Um, come join lead marketing for us, open up a Cincinnati office for Rockfish, and let's see what we can do together. Um, 
So I took the leap, jumped in uh, you know mid 2010 to go do that and to join Kenny on that journey and hell of a ride. Um, it was simultaneous to that, that me and a few other guys launched the brandery as well. Um, so, you know, I was joining this high growth company on one side and then, you know, on the nights and weekends, helping launch a startup accelerator to help other entrepreneurs out there. So that then led to, you know, the next seven years of the journey. It's uh, as I say, I get the seven year itch. So it was seven years at PNG, uh, then it ended up being seven years at Rockfish and the brandery. And now I'm kind of in the next seven year journey, if you will. Tell us your favorite story from Rockfish, something that uh, maybe one of the best home runs that you hit while you were there. Yeah. So, I mean, there were so many different uh, experiences across the board. I mean, whenever you're that kind of entrepreneurial journey, you just get so many of them uh, out there. But one of them is actually the, the journey that I'm finally seeing kind of realized today, you know, five, six years later which was, you know, one of our largest clients that we ended up winning was a Ford Motor Company. Um, and the work we did with Ford was really helping them with uh, digital innovation work uh, and being involved with that. And our partner was a group called, um, at the time it was called Team Detroit, really co now called Global Team Blue. And Team Detroit was the agency that was started uh, within WPP, really for leading all of the work around Ford. So massive agency, you know, I forget how big at their peak, but you know, probably 2,000 employees, I would guess. And they brought us in to help with some of the digital innovation. And one of those is we had these innovation workshops that we would lead. And these innovation workshops were around really looking um, at areas that we thought a brand could move towards and not just think about a new marketing campaign or a new creative campaign or a new website but truly new experiences across the board. And so we did one of those. Um, I think it was about uh, the winter of 2015, maybe 16 uh, with that. And it was on what should Ford do to change their customer experience and what should that look like? And over the three-day workshop came up with a lot of different ideas, but the idea that ultimately won was this idea called Ford Pass. And this was idea of, you know, mobility as a whole is going to be something that's transformational. And the, we needed the Ford Blue Oval to stand for mobility, just like it had for the last, you know, 50 years. And so that was the concept that was kind of come out, came out of it. And today you fast forward five years later, and as Ford just launched the, the Mach-E, their new electric vehicle, uh, the Ford Pass is actually at the center of that user experience. So everything that you do with the Mach-E is actually through the Ford Pass. Um, and so this past weekend, I had a chance to go finally test drive the Mach-E and give it a shot. And that ability to be looking at the thing that was literally just uh, you know, a sketch and an idea and you know, literally in a hotel ballroom back in 2015, seeing that brought to life in one of the most transformational car launches of you know, 100-year-old company's history is a pretty cool moment and one that's going to last for a pretty long time. Love it. Um, tell me about at, at the Brandery. Give me a story of, of one of your home runs that you hit there. Yeah. So I think the, uh, I kind of define the entire thing as the home run. And the reason I say that is the Brandery was um, at times a misunderstood uh, adventure, if you will. And the reason for that is when we launched, we were one of the first 30 
or so startup accelerators out there. And all accelerators had a pretty similar model. You know, you give some cash, you get around a five, five to 6% equity that a startup gives out for it, et cetera. And so there was Y Combinator and Techstars and another, a lot of other great programs out there. But one of the ways we were really different, uh, but we actually didn't talk about it that much uh, because we didn't want it to be the front and center, which was the fact that we were actually a nonprofit. And so uh, every company that we invested in, that 6% equity that we got in exchange for it, none of that actually went to any of us that were the founders. Um, So what it went to was a nonprofit um, called Main Street Ventures. And our goal and our vision all along for the brandery was we believe that um, by supporting these entrepreneurs early on, if they did what we thought they would do, that 6% equity would turn into magnitudes more on the other side. And so that was our theory, you know, believing of what entrepreneurship and venture capital is. And what we wanted to do was basically fund an endowment that would forever support entrepreneurs. And that's what we did. So, you know, over the course of those, you know, we had about a hundred companies go through the brandery. We were fortunate that some really hit escape velocity. And what that meant was a double benefit. You know, first and foremost, we were doing, all of us who were founders, we're doing it because we love Cincinnati and we love this area. And those companies that succeeded, you know, went on to hire 50, 60, 100 people, create great jobs, create great companies here in Cincinnati. But also in the same token, because they were successful, they then had good financial outcomes, which then recycled itself back to Main Street Ventures. And so today, Main Street Ventures is sitting on an endowment that we can continue to support entrepreneurs. Um, We're not doing it necessarily through the model of an accelerator anymore. And that was intentional because we knew, you know, models change and evolve, et cetera. But, you know, we were able to use those funds, for instance, that when uh, we saw all the restaurants struggling so bad during COVID, you know, we were able to be part of a group that uh, gave pretty large grants to restaurants across the Cincinnati area that were funded, started by entrepreneurs to keep going and to buy gift cards and support and do different things like that. We're able to do grants to new emerging companies that aren't ready to go raise money, but they've got something uh, and they just need that little help to get them to the next phase. So the, the journey of the brandery overall, you know, it would be easy to talk about any of the individual companies that did so well in any of the moments, but the best part was seeing the vision that we had in 2010 actually come true in 2020 as we had those successes that built upon themselves over the years. I love it. I love that you took one of your top passions, entrepreneurship, and created a way that you could give back and help others within that uh, passion as well. That's great. Um, And such an important part of entrepreneurship is once we found that success ourselves, to use the superpower that we have to, to give back. So thank yeah. you. The difference. Oh, for sure. Thank you. No. And it's, I mean, part of the fun of it too, was, was doing it alongside as you're in your own entrepreneurial journey uh, to be able to do that. Cause I think sometimes we wait too long to start entering the give back period yeah. um, when there's no reason to not to start early. Uh, and that's just going to make the impact last even longer. Thank you so much, Dave, for sharing your stories and knowledge with us today. Here's some of my key takeaways from this episode. 
Number one, we should be passionate about what we do and where we want to go. But we also need capability, credibility, and differentiation. Number two, as aspiring and existing entrepreneurs, we need to increase our capability constantly. We need to learn and build our skills and become qualified. Number three, when our customers trust us, we will become more credible and more likely to achieve our goals. Number four, part of our personal branding should be tied to what makes us unique. We can take this as a selling point and use it to market ourselves. If we are just like everyone else, no one will notice us. If we are odd and unique, they may just stop and take notice. Number five, an important part of entrepreneurship is giving back to our community once we find success. If you enjoyed this interview and want to learn more about Dave or connect with him, you can find him on LinkedIn. You can also view his website at predictingtheturn.com or his company's website, natureswillowbalm.com. Do you want to be a better digital monetizer? Then please follow these channels to receive free digital monetization content. Number one, you can get a free monetization assessment of your business or subscribe to the free monetization e-magazine at monetizationnation.com. Number two, you can subscribe to the Monetization Nation podcast or YouTube channel. And number three, you can follow Monetization Nation on Instagram and Twitter. How have you made your passions part of your career? Please join our private Monetization Nation Facebook group and share your insights with other digital monetizers. Thanks for joining me for this episode. I wish you success in turning your passion into a great career. Do you want to become a better digital monetizer? To receive great monetization stories and secrets, please go to monetizationnation.com and join free. And if you liked today's episode, please subscribe to the show and share it.